So yeah, if you want to turn to chapter 6, that'd be great. Um, and we're sort of going full gas this morning. Um, we're, we're not going to sort of gradually get in there easily. We're going to talk about one of the hot topics um, out there at the moment, the topic of sex and sexual immorality. Um, so that is where we're going. And it's a, it's a hot topic that we've got in society at the moment, isn't it? You can't really look at your news feed or pick up a paper or anything without some kind of issue around sex and sexual immorality being in there. Um, and that's not really any surprise. I'm not too sure there's ever been a time where, you know, sex and sexual immorality hasn't been a hot topic. Um, so let me just paint a bit of a picture this morning um, of the sort of things that are going on um, in the world around us um, that's in the news, just to, just to ground us and just um, see what Paul wants to talk to us about this morning from this letter. So let me quote... Um, uh, a singer, a female artist called Billie Eilish. Um, she's known for wearing basically baggy clothes when she's on stage. Um, and she did an interview with the NME, um, NME uh, magazine, music magazine, and she said this. There are people out there saying, dress like a girl for once, wear tight clothes, you'll be much prettier and your career will be so much better. No, it wouldn't, she says. Literally, no, it wouldn't. This is uh, Billie Eilish. She's, she's done like Glastonbury. She did Radio 1's Big Weekend. And as I say, she's known for wearing baggy clothes on stage. The thing about Billie Eilish is she, she's 17 years old. At the end of the day, she's a young woman who's un, who isn't an adult. She's under the year, 18 years of age. She's a 17-year-old, um, and she's being told to wear tighter clothes to sell more records. Um, and the point here is that actually our young women are told that actually their value is in their sexiness, that actually with Billie Eilish, she's being told that her sexiness will sell more records. And this is part of, part of what sort of young women are told, are told in our society at the moment. Young boys are told that to satisfy their sexual desire, they should go to pornography. Um, and we all know that that is only a couple of clicks away. Um, on the internet, and the, and the concern sort of from the social commentators isn't just so much that pornography is around, but people are so ambivalent about it. You know, people don't talk about it, do they? Um, and, and that's the biggest concern. It's not just how much it's exploded, but the fact that people just don't seem to talk about it or be concerned about it anymore. If you're single, if you're not married, then there's the impression that you can't have a fulfilled life without sexual gratification. It's, you need sexual gratification to have um, a fulfilled life. If you're, if you're not married, then, then that's supposed to be a big issue, and there's pressure on you around that. That's the sort of thing that's going on in society at the moment. As I say, we're, we're going with a bit of a bump this morning, aren't we? We're, we're getting straight struck, stuck in there for me. I'm just glad you haven't asked me to uh, sing one of Billie Eilish's songs, so um, I'll just carry on before you decide to do that. No. <laughs> Okay, but what about the church? What about the church and this issue? How's that done? Well, I'm not, I don't think it's done particularly well on this either because I think church, what church has done is it's considered confronting this issue before caring about those that have been involved in it. They're more interested in spotting the issues and trying to fix the issues than caring um, for those who have been affected by it. One of the first books I read when I was looking at Christianity. I became a Christian when I was 25 years old, and I'd been on a bit of an intellectual journey um, reading about Christianity, trying to understand it, trying to understand why my friends thought it was, a, it was a good thing. And one of the books I read was What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. And it starts off, starts off with a story about a prostitute. A prostitute is down on her luck. She's having 
she's having issues and one of her friends says, why don't you go to the church? They'll, they'll be able to help you. And she's like, well, why would I go to the church? Um, I feel bad enough as it is already. Um, that was her response. She wasn't saying that the church wouldn't help her. They weren't saying that the church wouldn't help her with her issues. What she's saying is that they would put confronting before caring. They would, they would want to deal with the issues up front rather than care for the person. They want to deal with the issues of sin and her prostitution up front. They want to make her feel those issues before they would care for her. That's what she's saying She's saying in there, they, they did a survey of millennials, survey of, of, of people who were born in the 1980s above, um, and they did a survey of what they thought of the church. They said this, uh, they thought, 87% of them thought that the church goers were hypocritical, that 85% of them thought that church goers were judgmental, and 70% of them thought they were insensitive to others. Um, you, let's not Let's be serious here. I know we're starting off with a bit of a bump this morning, but the church has got a lot of work to do to try and readdress these issues, haven't they? So what do we, need, what do, we do to readdress some of these issues? We go back to Scripture. We go back to see what God says to us through his word, don't we? So that's what we're going to do this morning. And I promise you I'm not here to make you feel condemned or guilty. It's precisely what I'm saying the church shouldn't be doing. Um, I think God's got grace for us through this passage, um, and I'm going to show it to you. <laughs> Um, for, uh, and we're going to worship God out the back of it, I promise you. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, and read what, hap- what's re- what Paul writes here in his letter, okay? It should come up behind me as well. There we go. Let me read it from my Bible. Um, All things are lawful for me. Um, you can see it's in quotes. That basic, basically what this is is a, is a phrase or a slogan that's going around Corinth at the time. This is... Paul's quoting um, sort of the culture around him, you could say, when he's saying that. He's not sort of saying those things are true himself. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, says Paul. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Again, Paul's not saying God will destroy both one and the other. That should sort of be in quotes itself. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Father, we just want to come to you right now, Lord. We... We want to submit ourselves to your teaching, Lord God. We recognize the difficult world we find ourselves in, Lord God. You know, this is the world we live in. It's not something we've set up for ourselves. It's just the world we find ourselves in, Lord. Um, and we just, we just want to be truthful to your word, Lord God. We want to demonstrate who you are to this world, Lord God, a good and loving and graceful God, just as we've been praying about this morning, worshiping about already, that glorious prayer from... Ali, Lord God, about your goodness and grace towards us, Lord God. We want to 
no more of that this morning. Will you come and teach us? We, are, we can be often weary from the world around us that pushes us one way and another, Lord God. Will you come and restore us, Lord, through your word? Wash us clean by your Holy Spirit, I pray. As I speak, Lord God, will you build us up? Will you encourage us, I pray, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we've got this phrase, this phrase, all things are lawful for me, which Paul starts this passage with. What's, what's this about? So this is a, a slogan, as I say, or a phrase that's going around. Corinth, and another way we could put it is this, I am free to do anything. That's another way you could put it, that actually I'm free to do whatever I like. Um, and that's what was going on in Corinth. And we can recognize that in the world around us at the moment, isn't it? We are free to do whatever we like, to go and follow our desires, follow our dreams. Um, we have an absolute right to this freedom, don't we? So we can recognize that, um, that similar thing in the world around us now. We don't have to make a bit, that much of a leap to get from one to the other. But there is a difference how the Corinthians saw their body, um, what their body was and what it means. Um, and what the Corinthians thought was, what I do with my body doesn't matter. Why is that? Because they have this, what's called a dualist view of their body and the spirit, that actually their body and their spirit are two different things. And what they thought is that what happens with your body doesn't really matter, that when you die, that will basically be destroyed, it'll be dead, it'll be gone. Um, and it's what actually matters with your spirit that matters. When you're, when you're dead, you'll just be a spirit that's sort of floating around, um, and it's your spirit that matters. So what they did with their body didn't really matter. Um, so that's why they, could get, they were quite happy coming and worshipping God, and then the next minute going off um, visiting prostitutes, because that, visiting a prostitute was something you did with your body, um, and it didn't matter. So for them, body didn't matter, but spirit did, did matter. That was where they were going. For us, it's sort of the other way round. Actually, as a society, we don't really care about spiritual things. We, we've sort of separated body and spirit so far away that spirit sort of disappeared into the nothingness, and we don't, we don't even think it's there anymore. All we are is a body, and what we do with our body does matter, we think. But the thing is, we don't, what we do with our body matters right now, in this moment, um, this week. What I do with my body, I, I'm really interested in. You know, I want to feel good this week. I want to be good this week. You know, I want to have some great experiences this week. Because in the end, we're going to die, aren't we? You know, enjoy life today, because tomorrow we die. That's sort of our phrase, our, our motto. So though, though we both don't think what matters with our body matters in the great scheme of things, the great, a sort of great cosmic significance, um, we do sort of care about our body right now. So this, this is where I'm going this morning. It's taken me a while to get there, but bear with me. This, this is the question I want us to think about this morning. Why does, why does what I do with my body matter to God? Um, we're reading the scriptures. This is Christian but a Bible, isn't it? What we're interested in is what God's teaching us about our body through this passage. Do you see? So God, our bodies really matter. Our bodies really matter to God. Um, they might not matter to society or to the Corinthians, but they matter to us um, and they matter to God. So why do our bodies matter to God? And I want us to have a look at three, three points this morning that, that Paul raises here as he deals with this question. And he says, the first one, our body has a future. Our body has a future. Our bodies are a temple. And thirdly, your body um, belongs to God. So our bodies have a future. Our bodies are a temple. And our bodies belong to God. Okay, so the first one. Our body has a future. 
And now, if, you know, even in a Christian situation, we can have this idea that we have a body and a soul, and actually our body, our body will die and our soul will go off into heaven, okay? But, you know, that's a, that can be quite a classic view of, of what happens from a Christian point of view. But that's not what Paul understood, and that's not what Jesus understood. Jesus, when the Bible talks about a soul, it includes our body, that our body actually... Um, our body is part of who we are and, and, and our soul. It's all um, there it's imp- and it's important. And when Paul points to this idea that Jesus is raised from the dead, it talks about Jesus' resurrection. That Actually, when Jesus died on the cross, he was actually brought back to life, wasn't he, in a new body. Um, he wasn't just a spirit floating around or a soul floating around. He was this new body, and this new body was was amazing. It was so amazing that half the time people didn't even recognize him. It was such a glorious sort of bright body that he was, um, he was hard to recognize. But at the same time, he still had like the holes in his hands from the crucifixion, didn't he? So there's this bizarre mix where half the time they didn't recognize who he was, but at the same time there was some familiarity with him. There was holes in his hand. People, when they did see him, could see that this was actually Jesus. They could touch him. He ate food. Um, he sat with them. You know, hundreds of people saw him uh, in this new resurrected body. And what Paul says here is that us Christians will receive uh, this bodily resurrection as well. Jesus was this new creation, this new type of body, this humanity version 2.0. And what we've got this morning, first and foremost, is grace. Grace to us that if we are Christians, if we choose to follow Jesus, what Paul's saying to us is that we get a new body, a new body that we'll have for eternity. We don't have this weird situation where we're a spirit floating around in the sky. God's going to give us this new resurrected body, just as we see it in Jesus, this brand new amazing body. We get this new body for eternity to enjoy the world and experience the world through it. We are not just brains on sticks. We have whole bodies to experience all of God's creation. We, are, we need to see that with that our body is, is a huge part of, under, of enjoying all of God's creation and all that God's got for us for eternity. That's grace to us first and foremost this morning, that it's not something we deserve. But as we put our trust in Jesus, as we follow him, the first thing that Jesus does is give, is give us this promise of this new body that is going to come when we die, this amazing new body. But Paul, but Paul gives us an argument with this, doesn't he? He's saying, yes, great, understand this full, 99% of it, you've got this amazing new body for eternity, but just think about it for a minute. What are you going to do with your body now? Um, What are you going to do with this body knowing that it has this, it matters, it's significant for the rest of eternity? He's saying, actually, think about what you do with your body. It matters. God's going to keep, you you are going to have this body for eternity. We need to Consider that um, when we live with our body now. What, what am I saying? Well, you know, if someone gave you a new toy and the first thing you did to do, do, do with it was throw it in some muddy water or, or try and break it against a wall, that just seems crazy, doesn't it? Paul's just saying here, you know, God's giving you this amazing gift. You're going to have this new body. Don't just, with your body now, take, be silly with it. Let's just, we should understand that there's a future for it and that should have some impact on how we behave now. Are you following me? Yes. Good. You're very quiet. That's all. <laughs> okay, so that's the first point. Our body has a future. That's great news, isn't it? Um, that's great news. Our next one is our bodies are a temple. 
Our bodies are a temple. Paul says in here that our body is a temple for the Holy Spirit within you. This is another, you know, we have to, we have to pull out this these grace, this amazing generosity that God has towards us in this before we deal with any of these issues. Um, so what is a temple? A, te- a temple, if uh, N.T. Wright was here or Tom Wright, you might, you know, the great guy who talks about scripture these days. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good way of talking about him, isn't it? Anyway, he says that the temple is a place where heaven um, and earth come together. That's where those two things meet. So where, you know, where the heavenly realm and the, and the earthly realm come together, that's where the temple, that's what the temple is. Um, another way to look at it is that the temple is where God lives. It is God's home. Now, if you're, you know, if you're part of the church, you remember that we had this, that um, series on Genesis 1, didn't we? And I explained how Genesis 1 is always is talking about this idea that there's this temple and God creates this amazing temple and then puts us in the middle of it um, as his image bearers, as, his, um, um, as the one that represents God. And the temple is God's home. Um, so what's Paul saying here? Wow, this is the, uh, another amazing grace of God towards us, that he makes us his home. Um, if we put our trust in him, if we uh, do all that it means to be a Christian, God, God has uh, made us his home. That is grace towards us. It wasn't anything we deserved. It's not because of anything we've done, is it? You know, God has chosen to put himself in us. He has chosen to make us his home. And that is great news, isn't it? It's great news when we go through times of trouble. It, it's, it's great news when we are in dark places because actually when we feel like we're on our own, we aren't on our own. Scripture is very clear to tell us that God is with you. God is with you in your belly. He's with you as in your body. He's there with you. That is, that is great news. I, I, I hear of uh, times where people have gone back through the dark times in their lives and they reconsider those dark times, those issues they've had in their lives. And, what, and they put Jesus, they deliberately put Jesus back into those situations and see Jesus with, with them. And that has had huge benefits to, to people dealing with those issues, to know that actually God was with them at the time. And they've seen amazing grace and amazing transformation as they go through that process. But there's a flip side to that as well, isn't there? If God is with you all the time, he's not only there in your dark times, but he's there when you're looking at the things you shouldn't be looking at, doing the things you shouldn't be doing. Guess what Jesus is there with you too. Um, when the guys go off to, their, off, off to their prostitutes, guess what they're doing? They're bringing their friend with them. They're bringing their friend Jesus. He's like, come on, let's all go um, and, visit the, and visit the prostitutes. Can you see why this isn't a good idea? This is Paul's argument to them because they thought it was okay to go and do these things. But he's saying, no, 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 Jesus isn't just there when you want him to. Jesus is there all the time. He's, he's made a home in you. He has you know, he's there with you all the time. When you're doing the things you shouldn't be doing, just pause for a minute and realize that, you know, you are, you are the home to the living God. You are a temple. He is very much with you in those moments as well. If he was here physically, would you be doing those, th- would you be doing those things knowing he was looking at what you're looking at? But let's just remember here the effort and the you, you know, the effort that we put into our homes, don't we? We put a lot of money into our homes. We put a lot of effort doing them up, don't we, Chris? <laughs> yeah. He, he does, does up kitchens and puts new kitchens in, if you don't know. Anyway, so we put an awful lot of effort in there. We put, you know, pictures up of our great times. We really care about our homes, don't we? God's really invested in you. That's an understatement. 
God absolutely loves you. He's more invested in you and seeing you flourish and being a great home than you are. You know, when you're messing up, he's all the, still positive. He knows where this is going. He knows that it, it ends up in great hope where you're, you've got this new resurrected body. He's going to be there with you. He knows where it's going. Uh, he's fully invested in you. He has skin in the game, you could say. He's got skin in the, in the game. He's put his glory in you, and that matters an awful lot to him. Your body matters to God. Why? Because it's his home. Let's have another look at this idea of your body is a temple. Um, and this is really important, that, you, that first and foremost, your body is a temple. When you become a Christian, um, you are a temple from day one. Do you understand that? God is with you from day one. Paul's deliberately putting that first. You are a temple of the, you are the, temple of the Holy Spirit. Not, you will become a temple if you keep yourself pure um, for marriage. Once you get married, then God will bless you as a temple. No, that's some weird, bizarre purity prosperity gospel it's not the bible okay and you have to understand that of course purity is important of course we value marriage but these aren't things to how you get blessing from god god blesses you up front god god makes you a temple up front he's generous with his grace first and then you receive testing afterwards very important you get that this way around look at it let's have a look in the bible and see where this goes Okay, Genesis 1, we have the Garden of Eden. Um, God blesses Adam and Eve with this amazing garden. It's all good. He, they can enjoy all of it. It's all, there for their, it's all there for their blessing. God blesses them up front. It's an amazing place. It's, it's a picture of where we're going for eternity. And what does, what does he say? He says, right now I've blessed you with everything. Just walk past that tree. Walk past the tree of good and bad. Don't take any notice of that one because there's a tree of life. Uh, a tree of life where you can get all the wisdom of God. It's given as a gift. That's what that tree recommends, that God's generous with his wisdom up front. Just go to that tree. God will bless you. Don't take wisdom of good and bad for yourself from the tree of good and bad. Ignore that one. What happens? Adam and Eve fail the test, don't they? Blessing, grace first, they fail the test. Quite well, spectacularly. What about Abraham and Isaac? Abraham um, is desperate for a son that can give him this blessing that God says about him being um, a, great, a father of a great nation, that he'll have kids as many as there are stars in the sky, sand on the seashore. Um, and Isaac's the one who's going to be that person for him, that son that he's always been looking for. Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain, doesn't he? And he passes the test. He passes the test. He's not... He doesn't get distracted from the idea that God, who God really is. God is the one who gives the blessing. He doesn't, he doesn't mistake the good thing that God's given him, his son, for what matters. He knows that God is the one that matters. Passes the test. Good boy, Abraham. David and Bathsheba. David's blessed by God, isn't he? Amazing kingdom. Gets the promised land. What does he do? He, he, he sets his eyes on the tree of good and bad, the, the, the tree that is uh, Bathsheba, isn't it? You know, And he fails that test. Oh dear, David fails his test. What about Solomon? Solomon gets blessed by God with this amazing wisdom, this amazing wealth, and he fails the test. He, he is not generous with his wealth like, um, like God has been with him. He fails that test. He goes after finding wisdom in the, in the idea of the women from the nations around him and, 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 and sort of turns his back on God. Solomon fails the test, and the whole of Israel is looking for this one who is blessed beyond doubt from God with this amazing blessing um, that will pass the test. 
Uh, that's what they're waiting for, for, de- for century after century. Who, when is this guy going to come that is blessed by God and, fa- and doesn't fail the test but passes them? And there comes Jesus. And that Jesus is the one that God has blessed beyond anyone else, isn't it? Jesus is the one who for all, all things have been made for him. That's what we learn about, isn't it? What a blessing that is. <laughs> you know? um, so yeah, so Jesus is, to- is blessed by God. And we see it, don't we, at the baptism. This is my son who I am well pleased blessed up front you are god is pleased with you up front you know he's he's well pleased with what you've done he's well pleased with what jesus has done what happens straight after the baptism goes tested in the wilderness doesn't he blessing first tested second he's tested with all sorts of things um he's tested to to go against god just as adam and eve were by the snake in the garden but he passes every test the devil says, come and join me. Come and join what I'm doing and you can, um, you can have it all. You can be in charge of it all. You can have it all. But God doesn't, Jesus doesn't believe the lies and he carries on. He carries on to the greatest, tempta- the greatest test of them all, the cross, um, where he's pleading with his father, don't, is there another way of doing this? But does he give in? No, he takes it all the way to death and beyond, doesn't he? He passes that test, that great big test that all other tests are pointing to. Jesus has done, has passed that test so that when we put our trust in him, we pass the test too. We benefit from the test he's passed, he's done, even though we failed them. That's more grace, more grace upon grace for us this morning. You can see why the Bible talks about it as grace upon grace, can't you? Bodily, bodily resurrection for the future, home for God, um, blessing first. Um, he passes the test for us. But we can be a bit like Peter, can't we? Um, Peter, Peter's one who constantly fails the test like we do, don't we? I don't know if about you, but we know whenever we get a test, we fail it pretty royally most of the time. Peter was the same. Peter was, Peter's going to fail the test three times before breakfast, does that, does that ring any bells with you? It certainly does for me, you know. I'm uh, failing three times before breakfast if I'm lucky. Um, and, and so um, and Jesus says to him, do you know what? You're going to fail three times before breakfast. Jesus knows that Peter's going to fail the test. Jesus knows you're going to fail the test in the future. Jesus knows that these tests are going to be in front of you and you're going to mess it up. Um, it's not a surprise to God when you mess it up. That's why there's no condemnation here. Do you see that Jesus isn't surprised when you mess up these issues? Jesus knows that it's going to happen. We'll fail three times before breakfast and Jesus knows it. Um, There's another time with Peter where he's feeling a bit more positive, Um, a bit of a time where he comes up to Jesus and he's like, do you know what? How many times should I forgive my brother for his sin? How many times should I do that? I think we should. I'm going to say I'll forgive him seven times, knowing full well that the law says, you know, three times is being generous. So he's feeling particularly generous at that point that he's going to forgive his, his brother seven times for his sins. And what does Jesus say? No, 70 times, seven times you forgive your brother for his sin. You forgive him an uncountable number. That's what he's talking about here. An impossible number. This is God, remember, saying, actually, you know, the, the, the standard is the standard I have. And what my standard is, it's I forgive you over and over again, constantly, forever. You know, that's what he's saying. That's Jesus' standard for forgiving people of their sin. Who's the hardest person for you to forgive that sins against you? Who is that? Who's the hardest person to forgive? For me, it's myself. You know, forgiving myself is the hardest thing. 
70 times, seven times, we forgive ourselves. Okay, so that's your body is a temple. Our body is a temple. It's where God lives. Okay, he blessed you up front first. Yes, are we going to be tested? Does God know it? Yes. He's there with you. He'll forgive you 70 times, 70 times. What glorious good news that is. So let's just go on to this last point, um, and I'll wrap up after that. Your body belongs to God. Our bodies belong to God. Now, this, in this, this can feel a bit tough in these, in these days, can't it, in this time, um, this idea that we actually belong to God, that we are owned by somebody else. It sort of goes against what we're saying, isn't it, that actually we have this freedom to do whatever we want, to, be, to go and do whatever we want and be free. So let me try and help us, because we need to rethink about how we think about this issue. And the best way to do that is for a story. So if you let me just paint a picture, because we need to do a picture to change how you think about this. Okay? So bear with me. So let's have this idea that um, the freedom that the world is talking about is a bit like a playground. Okay? So you have this playground, that, and you're basically free to go and do whatever you like, in this playground. You know, all the games are valid. You can go and play whatever game you like, whether it's football, rugby, <coughs> volleyball, you know, golf, tiddlywinks, I don't know. But go and, <laughs> go and play whatever game you want. And, you know, each game seems equally valid, doesn't it? You can go and play whatever game you like. Whatever you feel like you want to play, you go and play it. That's great. Um, so what do you do? You go and play one of the games you like. Oh, I like the look of that game. I like the look of that one. I'll go and play that one. So you go and you go and, go and play one of the games, and then you find out that um, after a while that you, you're not sure about this game. There's some interesting things that happen while you're playing this game. People start talking to you about what you're wearing um, or what you're thinking um, and, and how you should treat your friends and your family. And you're like, this is not, what I, this is not the freedom I was thinking it was going to be. There's, there's something strange going on here. I'm not sure I want to join this one. I'm going to get away from it and try something else. And then you find out you can't. You're stuck. You don't know how to stop playing this game. You can't seem to get away from it. And actually, what we find out is that there's these bullies. There's these people in this supposed freedom um, of this playground. On the playground are these bullies that pester us um, and, and try and force us to do stuff we don't want to do. Um, and what society is doing is it tells us about this great playing field, but it, forgot, it forgets to tell us about these bullies. And these bullies talk to us through what we read and what we watch, um, and through what our friends say to us and our families say to us. We're all, we're all sort of culprits in it in one sense, but we're all victims of it at the same time. From what, we, from what we pick up and understand, these bullies talk to us. They talk to us and put a pressure on us about how we live our lives, how we bring up our kids, how, how condemned we feel about stuff we do wrong or, or how busy we should be. Busyness is one of the big ones. You know, are you busy all the time? You know, it's people, you, know you talk to someone, I'm busy. You know, you, you know that's, this, is the, this is the bullies talking to us through our friends, our family, through what we watch. Are you following that picture? I'm hoping it's helpful. But, but into, this, into this playing field comes Jesus. Um, Jesus, is, um, Jesus comes in and he basically is, doesn't set up a new game. What he does is he goes after 
all the bullies, he goes and seeks them out. Um, and what does he do? He lets them do whatever they like to him. They, they can beat him, they can strip him naked, they can do whatever they like to him. Um, and once they've done whatever they can to him, he beats them at their own game. He is the only one who is ever victorious in any of the games that are played on the playing field. And what's the, what's the, what's the victory that he picks up? What is the victory he, he gets from doing this? He gets a victory where he can, he can be free from all the bullies. And, and people who can put their trust in him, who put their trust in Jesus, can also be free from them as well. This is the only way we get freedom from all these things, is, is through Jesus. Jesus has paid the price Paul talks about here. He has paid the price and he's bought you. You can go with Jesus into a freedom. Who are these bullies? What does the Bible, how does the Bible talk about them? It talks about them being idols or other gods. That's what, that's what they are. Okay, but God has rescued us. Jesus has rescued us from them. He has set us free from them. Can you see that now you have a freedom that is not only a freedom to play in the playing field and do whatever you like, but you have a freedom from the people who are trying to force you into doing stuff, the, these, these idols that are trying to do, force you into doing stuff you don't want to do. Now you are truly free. That is the good news. That is the good news of what Jesus has done. That is what he's bought a price for you. When, Jesus, when, we, when we follow Jesus, when we put our trust in him, he doesn't become just another bully on the playing field. This is, what the, this is what the church has got wrong. He's not someone who's bullying people, trying to change people's behavior. He's not trying to do that. He is, he is setting us free. He's setting us free to play in the playground, but he's set us free. That's what Jesus did. Jesus has set us free. That is the whole point. So Paul, we could finish there. We could finish there with this amazing picture of grace, this amazing picture that we've got this great body for eternity, that God has made his home in us. We have this freedom to go and do what we like, and we don't have to answer to these bullies anymore, but we can go and do whatever we like. Um, and, Paul, and Paul says this, well, what are you going to do now with your freedom? What are you going to do? So he says, so go and glorify God in your body. That's how he finishes. So what are you going to do with your freedom? What you won't want to be doing is going and playing back with the bullies again. That would just be crazy, wouldn't it? That would be a crazy thing to do. There's a film called Beautiful Mind. Has anyone seen, <coughs> seen that one? There's, it's about a mathematician who is basically plagued by these characters in his life, these people that seem to well, bully him into doing stuff and thinking stuff and doing stuff that just isn't true. It's just not, it, it isn't real. And it plagues him for many years until one day comes along where he recognises that one of the, one of the characters that, is, that isn't real but plagues him is a little girl who's like five years old. Um, and 20 years on, she's still five years old. And it dawns on him that these guys aren't real anymore. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a point where he's just like, you know... I. I can see it now. These people, these people are there, um, but they're not real. Um, and he makes a decision, doesn't he? He makes a decision that he's never going to listen to them anymore. Um, he's not going to interact with them anymore. He realizes that they're just not real. They're not worth, they're not worth the effort. I, and he says to them, you know, I'm, from this day on, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Do they disappear? No. The, pe the bullies are there for the whole of our lives, I'm afraid, until... Jesus comes back or we die. The bullies will be there. But as, as um, 
the guy does in the film, that we can make a decision where we go, actually, God's revealed who who they are, um, and he's also dealt with them as well. It's not just seeing the issues that we have in our lives, but understanding the truth of Jesus as well, that he's broken the power of these guys. That's, it's those two things together. You know, we deal with a situation where, like, recognize the stuff that's going on in your life, um, and if you can, and that will help to deal with the issue. But you need Jesus in there too. You need the power of God um, in there as well. That Jesus has broken free of them. He's given you victory over them. You don't need to listen to them anymore. Surely, are we sure we're going to go back and do the stuff we? been doing before. We've already gone over that. But the difference is we're no longer under their authority. We're no longer under their control. We mess up day after day, but the good news is that doesn't give them power over you anymore. Jesus has won you. He's bought you for himself. Good news. So what what does he say? He says we should go and glorify God in our body. That's what we should do. Rather than Go back to these bullies. We have an opportunity now to celebrate uh, the, the freedom and the purity that Jesus has given to us up front. We are now free to do that. You, you, it's your choice. You can do it. You don't have to do it. You know? But Paul's saying, what else would you want to do but celebrate the good news of what Jesus has done? All this stuff that we've talked about this morning, why not? What we should do is just tell everyone else about that. What we shouldn't be is people who are bullying others into, uh, into some some kind of purity. What we should be doing is, sit, is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the one who's rescued us and saved us. We need to make this point out to Hope, to Exmouth, to, to the friends and family that we have around us, that actually we, we can tell people who Jesus is. We can worship on a Sunday morning like this. What, do, what are we doing? We're glorifying God in our bodies, that we lift up Jesus to show the world that he is something completely different. There is nothing like it on the playing field. There's nothing there in our lives like him. He isn't putting more pressure on us. My burden is light, says Jesus. This is not extra pressure, is it? So we can go and do that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Remember, soul's body and with all your mind. Go and do that. Now I freed you. Go and do that. That's what Jesus says. So we have the band back. I feel it would just be a good idea just to spend some time. I feel God, you know, we are in a new season. Um, and I just feel, you know, it would be just great to just rest in God's grace this morning and his love towards us, remembering that these things are stuff that have given to us. God's not going to bless us again this morning. God's already blessed us. But what he does after issues like, you know, when we have issues in our lives and we get worn down, what he does is he reconfirms his blessing to us. It's not a new blessing. It's reconfirming what he's already done for us. So shall we just stand and just spend some time with him? So say we're just going to spend some time with God right now. He's here with us as we've heard already that he's He's already in us. Our bodies are a temple to God. God is here with us. And as we join together, he builds a, a greater temple, you could say, as we build stone upon stone. As he, we are gathered together here, God's presence is here. We are in God's home. It's his temple. Our Father, who loves us, he loves to give us good gifts, as Ian was saying earlier, is here right now. What, what another understatement that is, isn't it? What generosity God has given us. New bodies, temple, 
calls us his own, we join part of his family, he calls you my son, my daughter. He planned you before the beginning of time, he delighted on it, absolutely enthusiastic about all the effort and investment he's put into your life. He looks at it and goes, wow, I just, it's just a brilliant, I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited about your future, I'm so excited about these months ahead. I feel God also wants to bring the picture of the prostitute as well who comes to the temple. I think this is a really important message maybe for one or two or people here this morning. And what happens with the, the prostitute? She basically comes to God's home, God's temple, and she's accused by the people there. She's accused of, of this and that. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, whoever hasn't sinned can throw the first stone doesn't it? actually what's happening here that the prostitute comes into the home of God and she is accused the church is behaving like one another one of the bullies but Jesus doesn't Jesus still cares for her first doesn't he 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 get he passes away all those accusations he he confronts every single one of them till they all leave her that's caring for someone isn't it caring for them first he doesn't doesn't half deal with the issue he gets rid of all of them God's saying to you this morning I'm going to deal with all those people who accuse you they're going to accuse you day in day out but I've dealt with them all my victory has dealt with them they all flee from you they all flee from you from what I've done might not feel like it but that's the truth of the matter God deals with those accusers they all flee and then he says go sin no more that's the second that comes way, way, way second. Big deal is the fact that he's dealt with those things. Come, Father, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit, we've got, we come to you this morning. We want to be loved and cared by our Father in heaven. There's nothing like it, Lord God. There's nothing like finding the peace and the rest. Busy lives where we feel the pressures, how we're supposed to live, the peer pressure around us, what we're supposed to be like at school or in the workplace or with our families. God's going to quieten all those voices for you. He's going to stand above it all. I'm the one who's going to give you a new body for eternity. It's going to be glorious. If only you knew the future I had for you. It's glorious. It's just grace towards you. Don't worry about what's coming over the next few weeks or months. I'll be with you. I've made a home in you in the good times will be there when you're messing up my grace is there for you when you mess up three times before breakfast forgive you and over and over again you're free